Now we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 4. Today we're going to be in verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. And we're going to be talking about entering in, drawing near to Jesus. There's something powerful about when we understand and we let God move and speak and draw us to Him in a powerful, powerful way. Now, in November, my family, we got to go to Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we had a really, really good time uh, with Rachel's parents, and it was just, it was good. But when we are on vacation, there's a few things we've learned as a uh, couple that now have five kids, so seven of us. Number one, you have to have a big car anywhere you go, so you can't just get the small car, right? And number two, we never tell our kids, or we try not to tell them what we're doing, because what if we don't want to do it? You know, so they normally find out the night before, hey, we're going to do something fun. And so we decide we're going to go to the Grand Canyon from Phoenix. It's only about four hours. So we're like, what's a little four-hour drive there? Be there a few hours, drive home. Uh, It'll be fun. See the Grand Canyon. Our kids thought, this is a really great idea until they heard about the four-hour part. And then they're like, no, let's just stay here. We had a pool. Uh, The pool was freezing cold, but it was like 80-ish in the day outside. So they would get in the pool for like five minutes and then come out purple and shaking. And then they would warm up and then do it again later on. And, you know, they had a lot of fun. But we're like, no, we've done that enough. We were there, I think, almost two weeks. It was a lot of fun, but we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. So we load them all up in the car. And you, I'm sure if you're a parent, if you've been a child in the room, so that's all of us, You can imagine, by the time we drove from South Phoenix to North Phoenix and to get over towards the Grand Canyon, we're probably 30, 40 minutes into our trip. By that time, I wanted to stop the car and take all the kids out of the car and whoop their little backsides because they wouldn't stop fighting and arguing and whining. I didn't do that. I did not do that. But that is what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, you're like, would you just be quiet? We're doing something nice for you. This is going to be fun, right? Anybody else been in a similar spot? A few honest people, yes. My, my dad, it was real rude. He's got his hand really high and pointing at me. That's very rude. <laughs> but so along this journey, if you just can imagine, if you are good with geography, like we are going through amazing mountains, mountain ranges. The whole drive is absolutely breathtaking. If you are in Ohio your whole life, you literally can't even imagine it. It doesn't look like Ohio whatsoever. You're in the desert. And then you're near Sedona and you see the red rocks and you're like, what in the world? Such an amazing journey. We just really enjoyed You know who didn't really care about all that beautiful scenery? Our children. They did not appreciate it at all. At all. It was like... (sighs) So thankfully, after a certain amount of time, they, you know, fell asleep or they got tired of fighting, which I know that's impossible, but, you know, we kind of moved past that. And so we settled in and we we did our thing and we found actually a pizza hut that was open because there, there was not a lot. Like everything seemed to be closed. And then we found one table in this pizza hut that we could sit at. And so we were like, yeah, we found a table. We sat there. We ate pizza. I'm sure, I don't even remember, but I'm just going to embellish. I'm sure some of the kids didn't like it because that just seems to be the, my wife is affirming. You know, that's just how it goes. We get back and we're like, okay, now we're just, we're in like the, the area for the Grand Canyon, but then you have to drive like a half hour to get from Grand Canyon where you arrived to actually get to the Grand Canyon, which the kids nor I could quite understand that, but that's all right. We finally get there. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you literally drive into a parking lot And it does not look like much besides a parking lot. 
I mean, there's some trees and a parking lot. And then there's like, ooh, there's a visitor center and there's a bathroom. So that's nice. And, you know, it's like, oh, this is really great. And the kids still are like, ah, I don't know. Like couldn't even build the excitement until finally I'm a little taller so I could see over top of like the, the crest of the hill to say, there it is. They can't see it yet because they're a little, little shorter. So then, you know, a few more steps, they begin to see it. But you can't quite grasp it until you get right up to the edge where you're allowed to go. And there's this one specific rock, massive rock, that Chandler, he gets up on top of this rock and he's looking out. His eyes are huge. He's like, this was so worth it. This is amazing. You know, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, that's literally what it's like. Because you have to drive a long way to get to the Grand Canyon from anywhere that you are. And then you get there and you're like, I am so thankful that we took the time, we took the energy, we took the money, whatever it was, to go. Because it is absolutely breathtaking. Absolutely amazing. Now that doesn't mean that on the way home the kids weren't once again like, it's not worth it anymore. This is way too much driving. And just for fun, when we drove back through Sedona, we were like, well maybe we'll be early enough that we could stop there, which if you add up the hours, that did not happen. Not in November. So then a few days later, we drove back to Sedona, which is like two-thirds of the way to the Grand Canyon. Our kids didn't enjoy that either, but that's another place that's absolutely breathtaking. But right, there's the journey of life, and sometimes things go exactly how you want, and even when they go like you want, it's still like, I don't want to drive today. I don't want to be in the car today. Or your kids are like, I definitely don't want to be in the car today. You took us away from our pool and our grandparents have a hot tub and we could just be sitting and we could be relaxing, which they didn't want to do that, but they didn't want to be in the car. And when I think about the scripture that we're going to read today, think about drawing near to Jesus and the fact that to draw near to Jesus, there are times when you feel a little bit like my kids when you can't see where you're headed, where you don't know where the end result is, where, where you know what you want to believe or what you want to think or what the Word of God says, but sometimes it's a little difficult to fully grasp it and to be like, I'm in, I got it. This is how all the moments are exciting. Because sometimes we don't have jobs or we have family issues or we have sickness or we don't know what to do or just life's crazy and kids are doing wild things. You know, we, we could just go on and on. It's like, Lord, I want to draw near, but none of this stuff makes any sense. I don't understand what's going on. We begin to look, and we jump into Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I believe that the word becomes clear of where our focus must be. We must draw near to the throne. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's a, a call for the children of God, for you and me to draw boldly to the throne. There's a call for you and me to go ahead with full force. In fact, when I think of driving to the Grand Canyon, there's roads and mountains and all this stuff, and that's exactly what I do when I'm in a car 
doesn't matter how high or windy the road is. I drive with full force. And my wife is like, we're going to die. She's like holding on to the, the holder, you know, all those things. I'm like, if, they, if you have your arm there and the airbag blows off, then it's going to blow your arm off. Put your arm down. You know, not, not really. That's just maybe what I think. But I'm an all-in person. I'm an all-in person. And the Word of God says to boldly go before the throne, to boldly enter into what God has for us. This boldly would mean const or constantly, without reservation, freely, without fancy words. I like, that. I like that that was one of the descriptors of what that meant. Some people in the room like, I don't have the right words, or I don't know what to do, or my past is, it doesn't line up. Guess what? The Word of God is telling you, boldly enter into the throne of grace. Boldly do what God has for you. And when you boldly go, you don't have to have fancy words. You can speak to the Lord in whatever way you understand. And He realizes you and knows you and invites you in. Boldly means with confidence. It means with persistence. Today, church, we are called to go boldly before the throne, this place of God's presence from which grace emanates. It's, it's what we are called to do, this throne of power, this throne of authority, this, this place where before, if you think of, of a high priest, they could not even go into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go in beyond the veil except for once a year the high priest, not anybody else. And now the Word of God would say, we are called to enter in to what God has. And not once a year, and not a high priest, but you and me, through Jesus Christ, we are called to boldly go before Him. There's something powerful about realizing that it's not for a few elites. It's not for some people who have got it all together. It's not because we did some special sacrifice, but that today and tomorrow and the next day, right before or right after you mess up or before you've done it right, you can come before the Lord and He will move in your life and speak in your life and show up in power. God has special things He wants to pour upon you. And the words that are spoken here, I am so thankful for. Go to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody else ever need mercy, ever need grace? The word of God says, don't like, I'm not sure if I should do it. I don't know if I should go. Just like if you were within four hours of the Grand Canyon, you get in your car and you drive to the Grand Canyon because it's worth it. This is a whole nother level, a whole nother, nother realm. He opens up his throne to us and says, come boldly. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about your speech or anything. Come before me. I want to move in your life. Our high priest. In ancient Jewish, uh, the, uh, the rabbis taught that God had two thrones, one of mercy and the other of judgment. They said because they knew that God was both merciful and just, but they could not reconcile these two attributes of God. And we begin to see the word of God and what he would say. Jesus, the God of mercy and grace, the one who came to this earth, who died upon a cross for you and for me, for our sins and our problem. Jesus, the one of mercy and grace that goes and sits at the right hand of the Father. And there's no two thrones because the God of mercy is interceding for you. The God of mercy is crying out for you. The God of mercy has gone to the heavenlies and someday we're going to stand before the Lord. And if we receive him, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God is going to be there. And Jesus, our God is going to see perfect through Jesus in us. And God, I'll tell you what, church, there's nothing better. We get to boldly go before 
the throne. But something I think that is very important, and in their day and in our day, we can sometimes mess up on, is that we also have to draw near to the appointed. The next few verses in Hebrews 5 say, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf, at behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. These verses right in the middle of Jesus is amazing, and we're about to look again at Jesus is amazing, our high priest would say we must go to the appointed one and shows that Jesus is not just someone or something, but Jesus is now the appointed lamb of God in their day. And I believe in our days, sometimes we can get the high priest messed up just a little bit where we stop and we no longer think and look to Jesus or in their day to the high priest, but, but we get off track and we, we no longer do what we should do. And even in their day, the high priests were men of sin. They had to sacrifice for themselves first, where Jesus is not that way. We're called to go before the appointed. In fact, throughout the Bible, just three examples of people who they chose to, uh, let's say, take high priestly role upon themselves. To Korah, didn't go very well, was swallowed up in a divine earthquake in number 16. That does not sound like a good spot. King Saul, who was rejected from his place as king over Israel in 1 Samuel 13. Uzziah, who was struck with leprosy in the temple itself in 2 Chronicles 26. There's an opportunity for people to put themselves in a place and make decisions that God did not appoint. When I was thinking about this and praying through, I believe that God spoke clearly that just like they could do, just like these people could do, there's often time where we take our eyes off of our high priest, and we put our eyes on our own things, our own problems, our own situations, what's going on in our world or what's going on in our society. I believe that we can do this in so many ways, and I would say that as a group of people who many, or most, I would say, you're followers of Jesus, and if you're here and you're like, I'm just here, I'm not sure I'd put myself in that category, we are so glad that you are here with us, just seeing what God's all about. That's what our goal is, and we pray that you feel him today. But if you're here and you're like, man, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going. I'm just trying to figure it out and see what he has for me. I think in our day, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get sidetracked by a wide range of things. It's easy maybe with our kids. I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes we look around and uh, Rachel and myself, we don't have our kids in any sporting event at all or music. Well, we do have music. We have some lessons and stuff, I guess. But we don't, we don't have all of these different things. And some people would be like, that is straight abusive as a, child, or as a parent. That might be extreme. But then there's the other side where people are like, my kids are in 17 different sporting events. And the question is, why do we do what we do? Why do we not? Why does someone have five, six, seven different things? And it's all about perspective of what God is calling us to do. If I'm putting my kids in things so that I don't really have to parent, I could just be a chauffeur from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. 
then guess what? It's possible that I put something above God and above what he's called me to do. And I don't actually just want to be at home with them and just play ball with them. I would rather have somebody else do that. And I can be out of alignment and really not trusting God to help me raise my kids, but really trying to get them in as much stuff so someone else can raise my kids. And that, that's not good. And so we pray, we've prayed personally, what are we going to do? We're homeschooled. It's not as easy to get in certain programs. And we also believe that God wants us to be flexible and able to go and do whatever it is at whatever time God has. So, so we choose not to do those things. And my question is not one or the other, but why do we do what we do? If it's almost like a drug to us, if I'm a good shofar and I'm going to you know, move them around, great. No, no, it's not great. Because I want God to lead me and guide me. Is it the best thing for my kids, for my family? Hmm. There's so many different areas where we could, we could say the same in my wealth. Why do I have stuff? Lots and lots of stuff. Is it because it makes me feel good? Other people see it and I like how, that feeling? Or is it because God's given me this to share with the world, to bring people on my boat or to get people in my big house so that I can tell more people about Jesus? Well, then what I would say is go enjoy your boat and take some non-Christian people with you. Go enjoy your boat and take some church people and you can disciple one another on your boat. Awesome. But if it makes you feel good and you can't use it because if you use it, someone else might put a stain on your carpet or in your boat or it might get a, a hole in it. I'm, I don't know. Maybe we put, kind of move God aside and said, I really feel good with the pleasures of life, my own things, whatever they might be. Now, I was not planning on doing this. And during the first service, I was standing, uh, worshiping. And I just felt God laid this on my heart. And in Columbus a few weeks ago, I'm sure it'd be impossible, I think, to miss it, but there was a, a young lady that was shot by a police officer, right? And there's been big things. If you watch news, I mean, it's amazing. You watch CNN, it's one story, like, way of looking. And Fox News, a whole entire another story. And the good news is that both of those are 100% accurate all the time, so we can really trust both of them. Maybe not, but, you know, as I've been thinking, I haven't said anything really about this because I didn't really know what to say, truly. It's like, it just seems like everything doesn't happen how I think it should happen. And then what do you do with it? And so as I was standing here and as I've been praying through, I really believe that God wants us to love and have grace for people. Actually, I know, I know that from the Bible. But when I think of this situation, is it possible is it possible that we can feel terrible for a young lady who is in foster care, who her life was an absolute mess, who there was problem and situation and issue that she didn't deserve to be in, but she was in because of what other people did? Is it possible that we could say, that, that girl, I feel so sorry for her. I feel sorry that somehow we, I, us, the church, couldn't have done something in her life. Is it possible that we could feel really, really sorry for the family, for the situation, for the people around? Is it, sorry, is it possible we could absolutely hate that a young lady was shot and killed, no matter how it was? I think we could feel that way, right? Is it also possible that we could say, thank you, Lord, that the other girl, which she knows what would have happened. Is it possible we could say, thank you, Lord, the other girl didn't die? Right? I mean, praise Jesus. She didn't deserve to, to get stabbed either. I, I think so. Is it possible to say, man, I feel horrible for that cop? In the, the 
moment we're in, man, his life is going to never be the same, probably, or at least for a long time. Probably, you know, I don't know the guy, but you feel like he was just trying to save this girl's life. There was a knife, so he did what his job probably is what they said he should do. That's what he did. But is it possible we can feel horrible for the cop? And is it possible we can feel horrible that a cop had to kill a girl or did kill a girl? I think, I think we can feel, feel ter- terrible about all of those things. But when I decide as a human that I am now the judge, the jury, the, ru- the, the jury, the ruler of this whole thing, and my opinion and my way and what I connect with the more is the right way, then all of a sudden I don't think I'm able to show love for anybody. But I believe we as the church can feel bad for all the people involved in this situation. I believe we can say, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help our cops do the best they can in split-second decisions, that they would have the training they need, that they would do these things. And sometimes it's not going to be like we want it to be, and it's not going to look good. And, And thank you, Lord, for a cop that saved this person. That could have been one of my family members. We can be on all sides of this situation, but when we say, I know what's best, my way, what I feel, what is closest to me emotionally is what is right, then all of a sudden, I think I kind of move God out of the way and say, I'm only going to fight for this, or only be on this, or only believe this, instead of Lord Jesus. How can I love people? How can I love families that are trying their best in fostering? How can I love people before their kids need to go to fostering? How can I love cops and, and be a support to them and be a support to people that right now are legitimately struggling and hurting because they're seeing things over and over and over again happen? That it hurts. And it hurts. Church, I think we can be all of those things if we watch our tongue if we follow God, if we speak with, with truth, but, and, and in truth in these situations is we don't know. We just love you. We care for you. Whoever you is in that story, we care for you. And I believe when our heart becomes, Lord, it's not about me, my comfort, what I want, what I feel, what's easy for me because of my background or who I am, then all of a sudden I can draw near, not to something or some some element or some person, but I can draw near to the throne of grace, to Jesus Christ, and let his love pour through me. That no matter what situation I am, what the political uh, conversation looks like, what people think or don't think close to mine or not close to mine, we can love people because it's not about my political view or my view of one situation, or my view of anything. It's about, Lord, how can I be used to proclaim you? And it all changes when we're willing to let God speak and move to us so that we can love our world. We have to draw near to God's appointed, to Jesus, in order to walk in his rest. And in this season, in this moment, as we look to move forward in God, if we take the role of high priest. I'm the judge. I'm the jury. I've got this thing. Rest is going to be hard to find. It's not going to be there. But when I say, Lord, I release all of what I think to you, and I let you be God in my life. I let you be Lord. Then all of a sudden, I can rest in him, even when things are wild or crazy, when my life doesn't seem like it's going well, when I'm struggling in parenting or with a job or with employees or with family, whatever the things are in your life then I could say, Lord, you are my high priest. I worship you. I honor you. I give you all the glory and all the praise. And when that happens, I believe we find that we can draw near to the source. 
Going on in Hebrews 5, 5 through 10, it says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but it was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek uh, uh, being a, a person that they would say would be like forever. In other words, he, his reign will not end. It's not going to stop. He is our high priest from now, well, from when he, he came and he won victory over death, hell, and the grave. And for all time. There's nobody else that's going to be appointed. There's no other need for Aaron or a descendant of the line of Aaron, that oldest son, to be the high priest. There's no more need for that one time to go in before the throne. But now we all get to go in because that veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. It says that he made prayer and supplication. What is this all about? Loud cries and tears. Church Jesus, as fully God, but as fully man, he had to reckon within himself, am I going to go to the cross? I don't know about you in the room, but today, thinking of being crucified on a cross, thinking of what he went through, that doesn't sound very good. And he was human, like you and me, and he wept and he cried. He called out to the Lord, save me from this. Don't make me go through this, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, in his humanity, did not want to die, but he submitted himself to the Father's will, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And I want to say today that when we draw to Jesus, when we draw to the th throne, just like he went before God and said, please, I don't want this. I don't, I don't think this sounds good. I don't want to die on a cross, but Lord, I want your will to be done that sometimes in our life things happen just how we want them to happen. Sometimes we pray and miracles, crazy stuff happens, and what was going to happen no longer happens. Praise Jesus. And we believe and we cry out for it, just like Jesus himself, the night before he was, that he was betrayed. We cry out, Lord, bring healing. Lord, bring restoration. Lord, change this from bad to good. But the question is, do we believe that God heard Jesus? I think it's important. And absolutely, the answer would be yes, God heard him. Did he change the plan? No, he did not change the plan. Jesus suffered extreme agony and death in submission to God, but his prayer was answered in that he was saved from the power of death. He overcame death through his resurrection. And when you think of Jesus, his biggest act of sacrifice, his biggest thing to be the source was to die. But he did not stay dead because he took the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He took your punishment, your shame, your pain, your sickness. He put it upon his back and he came back. He won that. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now we have the opportunity to draw near to Jesus, to draw near to the source and experience his eternal salvation. Today, church, you're not left on your alone anymore. The word of God is clear and it is powerful. He is your high priest. 
He has saved you. He has redeemed you. And all you have to do is come before Him. All you have to do is draw near to Him. And in fact, today, if you're here and you say, man, I've never given my life to Jesus. You mentioned before, I'm, I'm just here. I'm not even sure how I got here on a Sunday morning, but I was drawn or someone brought me here. They made me come. I encourage you. There's no greater choice than saying yes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's no greater choice than saying yes to the source of eternal life. And today I would encourage you, would you ask him, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me whole. Wash my sin away. I repent of those things. And I make you Lord of my life. You are my high priest. And I don't have to wonder about all the other things. I can look to you and let you guide me and let you direct me. Church, he's our high priest. He's got you. He loves you. No fancy speech is necessary in your own words, even in this moment. He wants to, you to become a part of the family. There's no greater thing, no greater choice than that. And as I've been praying, I believe there's also people in the room that you begin to think, and maybe I called one out, or maybe it's something entirely different, but where you say, man, I think I've kind of put myself in the position of high priest. I put myself in this position of authority in my life. I have decided what I should be strong in. I have decided what I should do. I have decided what political thing I should take with me to my death. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let God be your lead. And when you are, then you can release things and cares and problems of this world, and He will guide you, and He will direct you, and He'll help you love the people around you. He'll help you love your Democratic friend and your Republican friend. He'll help you love someone who, who is really, really just working hard and trying to figure out racial justice and, and what to do. And He'll help you love someone that they truly just don't care. And we, we probably shouldn't, we need to care, right? But he'll help us love both sides. Help us love people that their life is looking like Jesus and people that their life just looks like the opposite. It looks no good. God wants to love you and use you. And today, if you'd say, I've kind of put myself in the high priest chair. I've appointed myself rather than letting Jesus be the appointed one. I'm going to ask you today within your heart just to begin to pray, to ask him to forgive you. Not about being saved or not being saved, but Lord Jesus, help me to focus on you. Help me to let you be always my high priest. For you to always be my God, my Savior, my King. He's got you. So right now, all over this room, could we stand to our feet? I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing a song. Maybe you need to come to an altar. Maybe you need to repent or just come and worship with some freedom. Maybe you need to just this morning, let him speak clearly into your situation. Maybe this morning you're believing for a miracle in something. And you can say, high priest, my savior, Jesus in heaven, would you come? Would you move? Would you be glorified? Maybe you're believing for a child that does not know the Lord. This morning, would you begin to intercede? Would you begin to, begin to pray for them? God's got you for a neighbor, for a loved one, for a co-worker, whatever it might be. You intercede and you, you want us to be in your family more than we even do, God. And so today we pray that we would give you all glory, all power. We would make you Lord of our life. We would put you in the highest place in our life. Not a place, but the highest place in our life. And Lord, as we remember you, I pray that even there would be healing, there would be wholeness, 
Lord, I pray there would be doors for jobs. There would be doors for provision. There would be whatever it is that the people need. Lord, I pray that while we're even taking communion, things would be put in place by you, Jesus, to see miracles. So Lord, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful you're doing a new thing. You've got us, you hold us, you're our high priest and we don't have to worry about anyone else or anything else being put in that place because you are forever. You are forever our high priest. You're forever our savior. For you're forever the one who died for us and made us new and made us whole. And Lord, I pray this week that we would live that way. We would live like those that are a part of your family. We would love the world around us. We would love our neighbor, our coworker, our family, Lord, in another level sort of way, because Lord, that's what you have done for us. Lord, our perfect high priest, and you call us to move towards you, to walk towards you, to become more and more like you, God. So that's our prayer. Help us, Jesus. Where there's hate in us, let it be gone. Where there's division in us, let let it be gone. Where there's foul speech in us, let it be gone. Whatever it might be, let it be gone, Lord, because we are yours. And we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for interceding for us, God. Lord, thank you for our world. Let us be able to encourage someone, build someone up, and welcome somebody else into the family, Lord Jesus, even this week as we walk in you. So we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. You're so good. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus.